Good morning, everyone. I didn't go anywhere. I was just standing up so I can relax a little bit more while I'm preaching to you guys. Um, Kids, you're dismissed. You can go to Restoration Kids. Um, So as um, Chris said, I'm I'm one of the elders here. It's my pleasure to preach to you this morning. Um, We have in front of us a very interesting passage. Uh, In some sense, it's a very exciting and challenging topic. And I hope it's going to be uh, good for our souls. So, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 24. Before we actually start with the sermon, let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for, Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he left his throne above to come down to earth, to live our lives, to become weak like us, to be a man of sorrows, to die on a cross for our sins, and to rise from the dead, Lord. We thank you that we have a hope and a future that's everlasting. We thank you that his interest is better than anything the world has to offer, and we thank you that we can share in that interest, Lord, and we are not at odds with it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, friends, big question. Where do you want to be in five years? Where do you want to be in 10 years? Have you asked yourself that anytime recently? Uh, given that we live in Washington, D.C., I think you, saw, you asked yourself that yesterday. Um, and if not yesterday, at some point in the last few weeks. Uh, we, are, we are a city that's always looking out for where they're going to be next, what they're going to be next. And we, we are looking for something, aren't we? We are looking for something. Uh, we are looking to finish school. We are looking to get a job. We are uh, looking to get promoted. We, we are looking to start a family. We are looking to get the kids to college. We are looking to maybe increase our savings before we retire. We are looking maybe to sell the house, move down to Florida because it's cheaper and warmer and nicer in the winter. And how could we not be looking for these things? I mean, time flies, and we need to get. Uh, we need to do the things we need to do to get where we need to be. It's as simple as that. Now, truth be told, for some of us, these questions are a bit of a nuisance. We have lost our energy somewhat and are trying to just keep going because we need to. But we could surely use a break. And for some of us, these questions are a reason for depression and anger because we seem to be very far away from answering them satisfactorily. Stuff gets in the way. Maybe we don't have the body for reaching our goals. Maybe we don't have the mind. Maybe we don't have the pedigree or the money. Friends, the good news that I want to talk about today is that these questions are secondary questions. And as such, they don't have to crush us. The good news is that we can live by pursuing the interests of Christ through the growth and maturity of the church. And as we do so, these life questions that often crush us take a whole new meaning. They become opportunities for the power of God. And we are going to see that from this passage in Philippians, uh, chapter 2, verse 19 through 24. But before we go there, before we actually look at that passage, let's talk about the context a little bit. The most important thing in interpreting the Bible is the context. And the the second most important thing is that there's nothing more important than the context. So, um, 
this passage that we're looking at is close to the end of the second chapter of the letter of uh, Paul to the Philippians. It is a small letter, just four, four relatively short chapters, uh, that Paul wrote while in prison in Rome. Uh, and he wrote it to a church he started in Philippi. Philippi is in modern-day Greece. The, Christian in Philippi, the Christians in Philippi were experiencing some problems, and Paul found out and decided to write them a heartfelt letter. And this church in Philippi had humble but powerful beginnings. You can go back in Acts, I think, 16 and read that. They were very powerful beginnings. And as we saw in previous sermons, Paul loved this church dearly. And he served them sacrificially. And they themselves served Paul uh, as to the best of their abilities. And, um, and they had a great relationship. The relationship that spanned years, possibly even decades. And thousands of miles at a time when neither travel nor communication nor economic possibilities were very favorable. And I would probably be safe in saying that Philippi was a relatively successful church plant. I mean, I think Alejandro would be very successful to have a church like Philippi in Columbia Heights. Um, people believed in Jesus, and they served their brothers and sisters. They partnered with Paul, and they didn't shy away from him, even, even as he was in prison, when other people deserted him. But there were some challenges in Philippi, and that is Paul is writing uh, to them this letter. And we, we see these challenges um, you know, when, when he tells them, you know, don't only believe in Jesus, but suffer for his sake. Or when he says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, in chapter 2, verse 2, implying they had some sort of disagreements. Or when he says, do not merely look out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Why would he, in verse 14 of chapter 2, ask them not to go grumbling or disputing? These suspicions are confirmed when we read the, the passage at hand. So let's read. I'm going to read from verse 19 through verse 30, but we're only going to talk about verses through 24. So Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I may also be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself will be coming shortly. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly so that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard. Because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Paul is planning on sending Timothy so that he may be encouraged when he learns of their condition. He's sending Epaphroditus right away, probably with the letter that we're reading, so that he may be less concerned about them. And, you know, we also hear, like in chapter uh, 4, verse 2, we, we hear about, uh, you know, how he, Paul, asks Iodia and Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. 
So there, seemed, uh, there also seemed to have been some theological. So on top of this interpersonal relationship stuff that's going on in that church, there seemed to be some theological challenges as well, which Paul tries to address in chapter 3, uh, partially in relatively strong language. So to address these concerns, Paul does two things. One of them, he preaches to them. This is what we're reading. This is what we're preaching through. And secondly, he sends mature godly servants to minister to them. In this case, Epaphroditus sends him back and wants to send Timothy and wants to go himself. So in this context, this is the context, we, we have our passage and the point of the passage and the point of this sermon is that we need to pursue the interest of Christ through the growth and maturity of the church. So the point is, pursue the interest of Christ through the growth and maturity of the church. So we're going to break that in two pieces. We're going to first look at pursue the interest of Christ. So let's listen to verses 19 through 21 again. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I may also be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. We detect here kind of Paul's regret, right? In his mind, Christians should be seeking the interests of Christ. Now we'll look a little bit later what that means, but Paul is contrasting here self-centered interests to the interest of Christ. And it's, it's, it's quite interesting. We have the Apostle Paul, you know, who we heard how he speaks. You know, he rejoices at being with Christ. For me to, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Who rejoices at the fact that the gospel is preached even if, the, even if he's in prison. The Apostle Paul is discouraged. And he's discouraged because he, they have struggles and he needs to send somebody and he can't find somebody. He needs to send somebody to this church and he can't find somebody to send, right? I mean, he finally finds Timothy, but he's like, well, he's kind of the only one. Um, this is the story we read here, friends, is actually partially a relatively sad story. When relat- Partially, partially, because God works through all of it, and I'm going to say that uh, something later about that. But it's a sad story when we look at it from an eternal perspective because we are told that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. We are told that life with Christ is so much better, and yet we see people deserting the interest of Christ to pursue their own interests. So what I want to do right now is I want to unpack a little bit our relationship to the interest of Christ. Why is it that we don't pursue the interest of Christ? Why is it that the interest of Christ is so much better? Um, so let's, let's, start, let's start with the question of why is it that people have an inclination not to pursue the interest of Christ? Why is it that we don't really do that? We don't like doing that. And part of the answer is that pursuing the interest of Christ is hard. Okay? So Epaphroditus got sick while he was trying to serve Paul and almost died. Paul sits in prison because he's trying to preach the gospel. Jesus himself went to the cross and suffered utter humiliation and a horrible death. By all accounts, pursuing the interests of Christ requires sacrifice, suffering, and danger. 
I mean, requires. It's part of the part of the package. It requires not not grumbling, not complaining, meaning there are plenty of reasons to do so. And it requires the very work of God in us to will and to do. As we saw in verse um, 13, for it is God's God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It requires that. It cannot be done by us alone. So on one hand, it's, it's, it's hard. It's just hard. The, the second reason why we fail is we are sinners, right? We're sinners. So the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's Romans chapter 3, verse 23. We actively reject the glory of God, the interest of God, to pursue our own. We perceive God's interest as asking too much of us. And that's not the dry theological truth, but a very juicy reality. Without the Spirit of God, our hearts and our minds will, will seek to move away from God. And it will seek to do so, our hearts will seek to do so, in the midst of plenty of opportunities. There are plenty of opportunities for our hearts to move away. Because there are so many interests that we are attracted to. So let's, let's think about it. Ever since we are born, we are fed with all sorts of Im- images in almost ritualistic fashion that tell us what our interests should be. Live your best life now. Have a successful career. Have a lot of money. Achieve security. Take control of your life. You are good. You are a winner. Or closer to home for people like, like who sit here and preach, have a great church with 5,000 people that grows at 10% every year and, I don't know, does some miracles once in a while. What does our culture tell us about being a great man? Well, our culture tells us that great men lead companies and countries They are dressed in a particular way and they command influence. They eat at a certain type of restaurant and carry themselves in a certain way. They know what is right and are very responsible. They must speak speak in a very careful manner and exude with positivity. His wife looks up to him and respects him for what he has accomplished. If she doesn't do that, he needs to move on and pursue another one. No, these are some examples of interests that men are encouraged to have. So now my question is, does a man seeking to be great by these standards seek the interest of Christ? What does it mean to be a great woman? Our culture tells us that it is a great woman, one who has a certain type of bodily characteristics, who smiles all the time, who has managed to have both a successful career and a great family, And if she's not properly appreciated by her husband, she must stand up by herself, for herself, leave him, and look for something else. Now, does a woman seeking to be great by these standards seek the interest of Christ? What does it mean to be happy? happy? Everybody wants to be happy. What does it mean to be happy? To be happy, we're told, is to look a certain way, preferably younger, 
to talk to in a certain way, preferably positively, because positivity works, to go to the right schools, because that's how we are going to get into the right jobs, which are going to enable us to change the world and make a difference and feel good about ourselves. Now, does the person seeking to be happy by these standards seek the interest of Christ? Where do we get all this stuff? Where do we get it? Well, we get it from our parents, we get it from our peers, we get it from our movies, from our songs, from the grocery store, and from the shoe store. Why do we fall for it? Because we thirst for security and we thirst for meaning. And these are good desires that God put in us. Right? But we naturally, that is, without the Spirit of God, the work of the Spirit of God, we hate God. We suppress the truth in unrighteousness because the truth is we are dying, we are weak, we are ugly, we are dirty, and we will one day have to bow before Jesus. That is why Jesus told us everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his, that his deeds will be exposed. Friends, the interest of Christ requires sacrifice and the interest of Christ is at odds with the interest that our sinful nature is fed every day and what our sinful nature pursues. Now, many of us who are Christians, right, at least at an intellectual level, we, we recognize that pursuing the interest of Christ is so much better at some level. Um, but we are, we are a bit afraid that, that maybe Christ is not for real. Maybe Christ is not for real because of so many people who fail to pursue the interest of Christ. If Christ is so powerful, why do so few people look like they pursue Jesus? Why do so many people we look up to look like they fail? Why is it that we get hurt by other people's failures? So we sit here, you know, Nick tells us, you know, pursue the interests of Christ, and I try to pursue the interests of Christ, and the neighbor over there next to me doesn't pursue the interests of Christ, and I get hurt in the process. Hey, I don't like that. That makes us doubt, right? It makes us doubt, you know, is the interest of Christ good? Is it actually for real? Is Christ for real? Um, but what I want to say is that all of these reasons, right, they're, they're, not, they're not reasons to doubt God. They're not reasons to doubt God. Pursuing the interest of Christ is hard, and as a consequence, it should not surprise us when people fail. Including Christian brothers and sisters. People around Paul deserted him. People around Jesus deserted him. People around us, our very friends, will fail us, and we shouldn't be surprised if that happens. Now, be disappointed just as Paul was disappointed and saddened. But don't be surprised. And nor should you be angry with God or fear that things are going in the wrong direction. God is in control. Jesus died and he rose again. The victory is won. And as Paul tells the Philippians in chapter 1 verse 6, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul tells the Roman believers, 
we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God, of those who are called according to his purpose. That's Romans chapter 8, verse 28. God worked and accomplished his goals, even though Paul struggled to find somebody to help the church in Philippi. Now, we don't know how things turned out, right? We don't know. But for 2,000 years, Christians have read this letter to deal with their problems. So that's one big thing that came out of a tough situation. Right? There was a tough situation. Paul couldn't find somebody. He had to write a letter. He had to do all of these things. Church in Philippi has trouble. But we are having a great letter that we get to preach from. The grace of God was revealed in a bad situation. So, life is hard. Life is messy. Church life is messy. Your friends will let you down. People will not appreciate you enough and people will not love you enough. Our response in all cases, should be to pursue the interests of Christ in spite of that and give praise to God every time somebody does pursue the interests of Christ because that is the result of God's work alone. You want to see how God is at work? You want to see God doing miracles? Look at all those instances where, God, where somebody is pursuing the interests of Christ and give praise to God because God himself is at work in that. Moreover, moreover, the interest of Christ, pursuing the interest of Christ, is so much better. It's so much better. It's much better, however painful, because it gives Jesus the glory he deserves. Jesus died on the cross to create a people for himself that would tell the world that he is much better than our idols. Every time we do the right and difficult thing of pursuing the interest of Christ at the expense of the interest of our selfish, fearful selves, we testify that Jesus is better. Pursuing the interest of Christ is so much better, however painful, because Jesus is faithful. Jesus is faithful. He delivers his own and bestows health and life and glory on them. Let's hear Paul in chapter 3, verses 20 through 20 and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. So Christ is actively working to accomplish his purposes. And he will accomplish his purposes. And they're going to be good for us. Pursuing the interest of Christ is so much better because we become free from the slavery to sin. Friends, do you remember all the images that I talked about before that were in our hearts and in our minds? Those keep us enslaved. We must have them or we will die. We must be that kind of man or we will die. We must be that kind of woman or we will die. Because we don't want to die, we sacrifice time, relationships, and ourselves in the pursuit of an illusion. So, let's think through this. We can't stand the thought that we're not the great man we want to be. So we go and buy the right type of clothes, eat at the right type of restaurants, marry the right type of woman, make the appropriate compromises in life. Or 
we go and we start to drink because that numbs the pain, or we look at porn because we want to be in control for a change. Either way, we become slaves to an image. On the other hand, maybe you can't, I mean, on the other side, you can't stand the thought that you're not that desirable woman you long to be. That great woman you long to be. So you go and you buy the right type of clothes, eat at the right type of restaurants, marry the right type of man, and raise the kids the right way, get the right job. You make the appropriate compromises just so you get to be loved the way you want to be loved. And if his love is not that great, you go and reject the love of that man altogether. Either way, you become a slave to the image. Serving Jesus is liberating. You don't have to be that man or that woman. You are a child of God, and your God is working in you to bring you to a glorious realization of yourself, a better realization than what you're looking for. You don't have to be in control. You don't have to numb yourself. You don't have to run away from that man because Jesus loves you. Friend, if you do not believe in Jesus, you are a slave of sin. And that is a very tough spot to be. The daily burden is great. There are many worries and many compromises to be made. You need to work hard to satisfy that idol. In addition, Jesus' promises for eternal good do not apply to you. Only Jesus' promises of punishment for sin and destruction of your soul. Whatever you're trying to run away from when you worship your idols is exactly where you're going. You want to be a great man? You will spend eternity looking upon the greatest man who ever lived and you will not be able to enjoy it. You want to be a woman who is loved? You will get to look at the one who is loved and he will turn his back on you. If you want to be free, repent of your sins. Confess to Jesus that you have pursued significance and love in the wrong places and put your faith in Jesus. Stop working hard to be somebody. Stop lying to yourself and rebelling against God and accept Jesus' offer of forgiveness and a new identity. And Jesus will save you. If you are a believer, however, the promises of God apply to you. The promises of God apply to you. You have a new identity. You are a new creation. Take every opportunity to think about whether you are pursuing your own interest or that of Christ. What do you suppose would have been the reasons why Paul's friends didn't seek the interest of Christ? How would they have motivated not serving the Christians in Philippi? So, I hope that through this, what I just said right now, we get to see a little bit better that it's worth pursuing the interest of Christ. It's maybe not what we expected, but it's good. It's glorious, and it's for our good. So now I want us to move to the next point. So we need to pursue the interests of Christ 
through the growth and maturity of the church. Okay? Because if we just say pursue the interests of Christ, that might look, might that sound a little bit abstract, might be like, hey, how do I actually do that? Well, we do it through, pers- through the growth and maturity of the church. So, in the passage at hand, we see that Paul gives us the example of Timothy as one who seeks the interest of Christ. So, let me read that again. Verse 20, I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. So Paul is giving us here an example, a very practical example of what it looks like to pursue the interest of Christ. And this involves seeking the welfare of the believers in Philippi and furthering the gospel while working with Paul. That's one example. Another example is Paul himself, right? And we learned in previous passages, or in previous sermons, that Paul is living totally for Christ. He wants to see the gospel proclaimed and he wants the believers to love one another. So pro- gospel proclamation means growth. Believers loving one another means maturity. He's willing to die to see the believe- Philippian believers grow in maturity. Paul wants to visit them himself so that he can build them up. So from these two examples, we, we learn that, that, uh, you know, that we have a, a relatively visible, let's say, clearer picture of, of what it means to seek to, to pursue the interest of Christ. And that is about, pursuing the interest of Christ is about seeking the welfare of the believers and it's about furthering the gospel. Maturity and growth of the church. And if we, I mean, uh, you know, if we think more broadly in the context of this letter and in the context of the, of the scriptures, This is exactly what the Great Commission is about. This is exactly what the Great Commission is about. This is the charge that Jesus gave his disciples when he went back to heaven. Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So this is exactly what Jesus told his disciples in the beginning to do. Tell people the gospel so that they can believe in me and help them grow. Teach them so that they can grow and they can mature. So, what does this mean practically? Like, How do we do this? Okay, one level more practical. Easy answer is that there are lots of ways in which you can pursue the interests of Christ for growth and maturity of the church. So we can see this in this passage. Um, we can see this in the context of the scriptures. So let me give you like six ways, okay? Really quick, really quick. I'm not going to dwell on this very much. Really quick. First, the interest of Christ can mean missions, right? Can mean missions to serve brothers and sisters uh, who need encouragement and help. So we have a practical example in Timothy. We have a practical example in Paul, in Epaphroditus. We have, uh, you know, it, this sometimes involves lo- possibly long travel, 
sometimes uh, it maybe involves preaching and counseling, right? Second, the interest of Christ can be pursued in planting a new church, like Paul did in Philippi in the first place. And we are trying to do in Columbia Heights. We're seeking the interest of Christ. We're trying to bring the gospel to people who have not heard it before, or if they heard it, they heard it in a distorted way. That's seeking the interest of Christ. Third, seeking the interest of Christ could be pursued through various evangelistic events that would make it possible to reach non-believers with the gospel. But it can also mean testifying one-on-one to the people around us, next to us, whether we are at work or at school or wherever we are. As long as we lovingly tell the gospel and make it known that they are sinners, that they need Jesus, that Jesus died for their sins and rose again, that they need to repent of their sins and put their faith in Jesus, we are seeking the interest of Christ. Fourth, we could be seeking, we can be seeking the interest of Christ through discipleship and prayer as we build up our brothers and sisters and equip them for better obedience. We can pray for our brothers and sisters in their fight against sin and temptation and for the provision of their needs. We can build them up. You know, everybody can pray. Everybody can engage in a discipleship relationship. If you feel like you need to grow, go ask somebody, hey, I need to grow in this area. If you think you know something about Jesus and they're excited about that, go find somebody who's not so excited and tell them. But the, list doesn't, but the list doesn't stop here. You know, if we take into account that Paul is writing about this in the context of the church of Philippi having dissensions, right? They're, having, they're fighting with one another. There is something off there. And in the context of his calling them to put each other's interests above their own, we see that, that the interest of Christ is not only sought through big things like missions or outright things like evangelism or discipleship, but also, fifth, through a constant struggle to be mindful of and address the neighbor's needs and challenges. So we're getting from like the big ticket items, so to say, like very clear, to like the constant struggle of being mindful of what our brothers and sisters need and trying to address those things. Church life is difficult and it's messy because we struggle with sin and we live in a sinful world. There are lots of things that can divide us. They range from political views to secondary theological topics to personality differences. I like to speak with my hands. Other people like to speak like this. And so that can cause miscommunication. Many times we have different images about what kind of people we want to be. And some of our brothers and sisters may be in the way. Somebody may forget to put us on a mailing list or neglect to check on us when we are sick. Somebody may put us in a bad light through a comment. Somebody may may say something we shared in a private conversation and we didn't want distributed publicly. Seeking the interest of Christ means that we seek to build up our brothers and sisters, bind up the wounds, forgive and help one another. 
We need to be willing to go the extra mile with one another and take a personal loss for the sake of our brothers and sisters. Finally, sixth, seeking the interest of Christ means that we need to think of the non-church aspects of our lives in light of Christ as well. How, we, how do we spend our money? How, how, how we spend our money, how we work, where we work, how we interact with the people around us are all to be put under the interest of Christ. It's not church life and everything else. And uh, we pursue the interests of Christ in church and we do some other thing over here because that's not church. No, everything is the interest of Christ. Everything is to be put under the interest of Christ. So how we spend our money, how we work, where we work, how we interact with the people around us. Everything under the interest of Christ. So for example, are you seeking to further the witness of the gospel and the maturity of your fellow believers when you spend your money? Or when you choose or do a job? Or when you plan or seek to plan the next five years? Or are you seeking to satisfy a man-made image that you have in your head? So there are plenty of ways to seek the interest of Christ. Okay, there are plenty of ways. And it's quite overwhelming. Especially uh, for people like us who tend to be like very... Uh, perfectionistic and want to do everything right and want to make sure that we're good people and all of that stuff, right? But it also means plenty of opportunities. So if we think of, the, of seeking the interest of Christ as reaping a harvest, it means that there's room for quite a big one. So in this light, self-centeredness is a very narrow path that skillfully avoids all or some of these opportunities, and we, 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 we go this very narrow path because, because it's difficult, right? Because seeking the interest of Christ is difficult. Uh, but but the, the ironic thing is that in other parts of life, we, we do difficult things. And we do them because we think they're going to get us something later. So school is difficult, but we go to school because otherwise we think we'll starve or the equivalent thereof. Similarly, seeking the interest of Christ is difficult, but it is good because Jesus is proven right and glorious and we will be able to look back on our lives and rejoice that we served him when we had the chance. Which one do you prefer to be? Do you want to be like Timothy or Paul? Or do you want to be like the people who sought their own interests? Which one do you want to, look, to, to be? Which one, do you do, which one do we want to be? Looking back, 2,000 years. Timothy or Paul? The other guys. And as school is something that we do day by day, seeking the interests of Christ is something that we can do day by day as well, developing good habits. At the beginning it's difficult because we don't even see the need. But then we look, we pray, and God puts something ahead of us. We obey, and then we move to the next instance. And with time, we develop an ability to know what the interest of Christ is. And also, with time, obedience becomes easier in some things, even as God puts further, harder things on our plates. 
Okay, I, I, I told you a lot of difficult things, right? Um, but before we end, I do want to emphasize something, okay? Jesus Christ is worth it. Jesus Christ is worth it. Okay? Jesus is not a man-made image. Jesus is not natural. Jesus is not fake news created by our God or by our world. Jesus is for real. He doesn't tell you to drink and be satisfied only to find yourself thirsty again. Jesus does not oppress you but seeks your welfare. He actually sought it before you sought him. Jesus doesn't ask you to be a certain type of person before you can come to him. You can come to him as you are in repentance and in faith. Jesus doesn't promise you a better year but a great eternity. Jesus is the one who, although in the likeness of God, put aside his privileges, that is, all the things we really want to be and more, and he became weak. He pursued our interest, and he loved us enough to go to the cross for us. He died for our sins so that we could be forgiven. He pursued our interest enough to become everything we hate, so that we can become glorious. He rose again and he proved to everybody that God is better than all idols and that he alone deserves to be bowed down to. He is better because he offers true life and true freedom and true joy at his own expense. At his own expense. That is why Jesus is worth it. That is why Jesus' interest is worth it. Because Jesus pursued our interest at his own expense, even though he didn't need to. In closing, I want to say, uh, you know, if there is one thing you take away from this, take away that, you know, we should pursue the interest of Christ through the growth and maturity of the church. And we should do so because Jesus is worth it. You don't have to prove yourself anymore. You don't have to become anything anymore. He's going to make you that. If you do not currently believe in Jesus, I, would, I want to gently ask you to consider your slavery. You serve hard masters that have taken a toll on your life. Please, please turn to Jesus. Repent of your sins and of your rebellion and put your faith in Jesus then follow the interests of Jesus because he is truly worth it. As for us, brothers and sisters, let us make it our goal in life to seek the interest of Christ every day and to become very good at it. We should not seek absence of pain or presence of comfort. We are not yet home. The kingdom of God is not fully revealed. There is still work to be done. But we should look to train ourselves through daily habit to seek the interest of Christ in all the relationships we have, in all the places we find ourselves, inside the church and outside, when we think about the present and plan for the future. As we do so, life will take a whole new meaning, and the questions that are on, my, are, that are on our minds become opportunities for the grace and power of God rather than burdens. 
rather than a struggle to survive, our life becomes the pursuit of the glory of Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that we don't have to serve these hard masters anymore. We thank you that, that you sent Jesus to, to live our lives, bear our sin, bear our death, and, and be risen from the dead, be, be brought from the dead. We thank you that, that we have a future and a hope. We thank you that you have set ahead of us a harvest of obedience and of love and of service. We pray, Lord, that you would enable us to see how, how much better, how much more worth it is to follow Jesus than anything else. And we pray that you help us see that every day, little by little, Lord, so that we grow in maturity and we pray that, I pray that we would be able to, to, to spread the gospel, Lord. Tell people about Jesus and more people would repent and believe. So that your name be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.